I V M. Welcome to All Things Policy, a daily podcast supported by Pragati, a flagship media initiative of the Takshashila Institution. We're a bunch of policy nerds based in Bengaluru, and we like to bring a fresh perspective to Indian affairs and an Indian perspective to global affairs. So grab a cup of coffee, sit back, and join us for today's chat. Hello and welcome to All Things Policy. I'm your host Shri Krishna Upadhyayam and today we're going to be talking about the significant decision handed down by the Supreme Court of India yesterday concerning same-sex marriages. By a majority the Supreme Court of India held that there is no fundamental right to marry and refused to grant legal recognition for same-sex marriages in the country. To talk about this issue today I have with me research analyst Takshashila and my colleague Saurabh Todi on the show. Saurabh welcome to All Things Policy. Thank you Shri happy to be here. Right I will begin this discussion by setting the context on the Supreme Court judgment this was given by a five judge bench known as the constitutional bench there were four judgments in total just to sort of like ensure that we are on the same page and all the listeners can have benefit of you know what the judges spoke about I'll quickly take a few minutes and summarize the judgment for all of you so let's understand this right there were three prominent issues which the supreme court gave an answer to and there were four judgments so one judgment was by the chief justice of india dy chandrachud the second judgment was by justice call who more or less agreed with what chandrachud said the third judgment was by justice bhat and justice kohli joined justice bhat's opinion and the fourth judgment was by justice narasimha we can actually sort of discern majority on certain issues between these judges in fact on one of the issues there is a complete majority which is on the fundamental right to marry where all the judges said that there is no fundamental right to marry but it is just a fundamental freedom for people to exercise but on many other issues there is a 3-2 split with the chief justice and justice call on forming the minority while justice bhat and justice narsimha's opinion forming the majority so to quickly look at these three issues of fundamental right to marry whether special marriage act can be read in a way to recognize same sex marriages and whether the queer people have a right to civil union So on the first question like i mentioned earlier all the five judges agreed that there is no fundamental right to marry because declaring the right to marry a fundamental right would create an obligation upon the state which the court could not do on the second question whether the special marriage act which is actually a law enacted in 1954 to enable intercaste and interreligious marriages which faced a lot of social opposition back then and continue to do so whether this act can include same sex marriages this was one of the positions which was one of the questions that the court examined however over this there was also an agreement among the judges that you know they cannot read the statute in a way to include the right of queer people to marry under the special marriage act or now typically when a court exercises its powers of judicial review and does legal interpretation it can read down or read up statutes to save it from unconstitutionality right so one of the options for the court was reading of course declaring that non inclusion of uh, homosexual marriages in the special marriage act uh, was discrimination and violation of article 15 and to save the constitutionality of the statute they could have said that the provisions in sma should include same sex marriages but the court said this is not an exercise they want to carry out they said um, there are multiple interpretive difficulties when it comes to sma and any sort of rereading of the special marriage act might impinge upon the rights of women and other categories which are protected under the law now the third question which is interesting and saurabh i want to hear more from you on this aspect as well was whether the court could recognize the right to a civil union for queer people right however the supreme court refused this as well the judges held that you know the state 
although the people have a fundamental right to choose their partner and live with them without being disturbed by the state police other authorities societies and all but they could not actually grant a legal recognition for this sort of a union between people if at all the court had taken this route of guaranteeing the right to civil union then they could have compelled the state to come up with a legislative framework for enabling and protecting the rights of same sex couples but even on this issue the petitioners lost and the court ultimately held that it cannot force the state to recognize civil unions so i'll stop here and uh, sorab on the three issues that i mentioned broadly which is about the fundamental right to marry the interpretive issues around the special marriage act as well as the right to civil union i want to hear your broad thoughts what is uh, your opinion on this so shri i mean obviously this was a very significant judgment right it really kind of highlights the kind of struggle that the community is going to have to kind of do for years and years to come because uh, the rights that uh, they thought that would be granted even if in a limited fashion did not happen uh, yesterday but i am not a legal expert so i will refrain from you know like commenting on the specifics of the judgment whether you know there is a right to marry or not but i i would say in the question of civil unions i am curious because there is seems to be an agreement between all the five judges that discrimination against the lgbt community is not acceptable and they ought to have the rights that you know further their life in a dignified manner so there was an agreement on this and the minority opinion of the chief justice kind of laid out almost all the like legal rationale for why you know all the like rights to property rights to being able to you know like open joint bank accounts or you know being part as a nominee for pf and all of the, these instruments these small small things which you know add up to a very significant measure of what it means to be married so this was there but it was quite perplexing that on one hand the judges agreed that these rights or like these are the like all these rights are important to live with dignity but they did not provide any remedy to ensure that these rights are protected so for example they did recognize that the government has kind of committed that they will set up a committee under uh, the cabinet secretary to kind of figure out what kind of civil rights can be given short of marriage to same sex couples so that is fine but i think the bare minimum that the uh, the court should have done was to recognize that even if marriage is a bridge too far a legal recognition of same sex couples in a civil union was essential absolutely required to safeguard these rights that the court has already agreed that are important and then you could have left that to the wisdom of the executive or the parliament to decide what exactly those rights are how will they be enforced how, what are the remedies right now what we have is that we have taken the government the executive at face value and as we have seen that this this issue is not something that is very pressing for anyone in the parliament or in the government even this commitment came up during the hearings because you know to kind of show that okay we are concerned about this but it is quite possible that this kind of committee idea would be put in the cold storage so it's disappointing but i would say that the bare minimum should have been that you recognize you give a legal recognition to their right to have a lawfully recognized relationship and then you could have still not transgressed into the domain of parliament and made what exactly those rights would be but it's a missed opportunity to be honest
Right. Like you pointed out, I mean, I think the majority opinion of Justice Bard uses an analogy, which I would like to contest. He says that, you know, there is a fundamental right to move across the territory of India. But this does not mean there is a positive obligation upon the government to build roads wherever you want to go. And he uses this sort of analogy to explain the fact that, you know, you can claim that there is a right, but whether there exists a positive obligation for the state to enable the fulfillment of that right now, that's a separate issue altogether. But I would like to say here, I mean, the distinction here is there already exists a road for heterosexuals. The denial and the discrimination comes when you're not letting the homosexual or the same-sex queer people enter the road, right? So that is a sort of discrimination which is being contested by the petitioners in this case. Having said that, in terms of remedies, like you rightly pointed out, our courts have not been shy of recognizing new rights as part of our fundamental rights, whether under Article 14, 19 or 21, which talks about equality, fundamental freedom, right to life and so on. And also ensuring that or nudging or sort of propelling the state towards recognition of these rights. You know, I can give you two examples which come to my mind. One is, of course, in the Puttaswamy judgment, a nine-judge bench of the Supreme Court when it held that there is fundamental right to privacy, which includes data protection of individuals. They declared that right. And then they said that the parliament can now enact a comprehensive data protection legislation, which the parliament did many, many years later after a lot of struggle. But the parliament still did it. The second instance that I can think of is with regard to euthanasia, right? The Supreme Court actually said that passive euthanasia is a part of your fundamental right to dive with dignity, which is part of Article 21, and gave a series of guidelines to effectuate this right and make it a reality. So now taking a step back and zooming out a bit. So whenever a question like this comes before the court, broadly speaking, there are two kinds of remedies that the court can fashion, right? One of the remedies is called an injunction. The second is called a declaration. Now, injunction is when you compel the state to perform a certain act or restrain the state from performing any act and violating a fundamental right. That here in this case might have been a little difficult given that this issue is not simply a violation of fundamental right but it is a classic case of under-inclusion where the rights of certain people do not find recognition in the law. The second thing which I feel the court could have done is to issue a declaratory remedy which I think you also spoke about right that declared that there is a right to civil union if not marriage and let the state work out the specific. Let the parliament legislate or the executive through its act ensure that these rights which are declared as uh, fundamental are in fact implemented and enforced. So this is a path which, like you pointed out, was available for the court, but however, it chose not to do it. So I want to hear your thoughts on this kind of decision which could have come from the court and also on the larger issue of judicial activism, because I know that you are a critic of judicial activism. But here, did you think that the court was lacking in its own activism, which is formed on the basis of its precedents? Yeah. So, I mean, again, I mean, I think it is a well-known fact that, you know, the Supreme Court or in India, judiciary in general is quite like the separation of powers is, is not really a thing. It depends on what the issue is being discussed, debated or in front of the courts. Courts have really frequently transgressed into the domain of both executive and legislature and have exceeded the briefs of what is expected out of the judiciary. So having said that, I think it was a welcome development to see that the Supreme Court was like refrained itself from, you know, transgressing into the domain of both executive and the legislature where, for example, if there were more than 150 laws that would have been, would have had to be amended to kind of allow for the same-sex marriage to be legally recognized, I think that certainly comes under the domain of both the executive and then the parliament. However, I think what is curious is that if this judgment was like the starting point of a scaled back judiciary where now they're going to kind of, you know, refrain from doing this in every case, then I guess that's 
a welcome development and although this is uh, unfortunate for the community but i think for the greater health of the democracy and the separation of powers doctrine i think this is a welcome move but i don't think that's the case i i mean we can we'll see that in a few days you know when we have more other contentious judgments is that it seems like the court just chose an easy way out it hid behind this cloak of you know oh we can't transgress when as you rightly pointed out there are other remedies short of actually transgressing into the domain which was again just giving a declaration would have been kind of enough of a nudge for the government to do something about it you could have both safeguarded the rights of the lgbt community while ensuring that you did not exceed your brief but that the supreme court did not do that and so if this is a starting point of something like a more restrained court i'm all for it but i have almost zero hope that that is the case i think this was just a easy way out for the court to not kind of declare something that might be seen as contentious and it's quite unfortunate right and like you said even i have my reservations as to whether this kind of restraint will be practiced in the coming cases because you know the supreme court operates in benches and it decides matters one by one so in every different matter it takes its own course consistency is one thing which is definitely lacking but having said that it is important to remember that like we say in public policy that never judge a policy by its intentions but by its outcomes so similarly when we are judging a judgment of a court never judge the judgment by the rhetoric that the court speaks but judge it by the remedy or the actual out come or the relief which the court provides the petitioners right because that is where the crucial reason as to why a person approaches a court gets satisfied what is the relief that you get from the court ultimately because our supreme court or even high courts for that matter like verbose pray <laughs> pros and they speak tons and tons of words but what is the actual remedy that has been granted to the petitioner is what something that we need to focus on so let's look at justice bhat and justice chandrachud's opinion because these are the two judges who are given some sort of remedies to the queer couple and i think the most important one of course is taking on the statement given by the solicitor general that the government is willing to constitute a high powered committee set up by the union cabinet secretary to comprehensively examine all the issues that are involved and ensure that certain kind of legal entitlements can be extended to queer couples also now the court has made this assurance given by the solicitor absolute it has said that the government is duty bound to constitute this committee and for instance the court looks at certain items which this committees can be looked at right now justice but mentions employment benefits provident fund gratuity family pension employee state insurance medical insurance material entitlements unconnected with matrimonial matters etc uh, these are some of the things which this committee can look at and come up with the policy see which all the state governments and the central government will be required to follow only justice chandrachud actually goes a step ahead and lays down concrete terms of reference which i think the majority opinion of uh, justice but failed to do so and justice chandrachud for example in his terms of reference for the committee talks of uh, ration cards joint bank accounts the right to name a partner as a nominee in case of death the duty of medical practitioners to consult family or next kin extending this to queer couples jail visitation rights the right to access the body of the deceased partners and arrange the last rights or legal consequences such as succession rights maintenance financial benefits under the income tax act rights flowing from uh, gratuity family pensions and insurance he mentions all these items as the terms of reference that the committee should look at however the court fails on uh, two aspects i think both the majority and the minority fails on two aspects one is setting down a concrete 
timeline for this committee, right? Uh, there is nothing on that. Second aspect in which, in fact, I can think of three. The second aspect is, of course, uh, looking at the composition of the committee. Now, is this going to be a purely administrative committee headed by bureaucrats? Although the court makes references, says that, you know, you should be a diverse committee, you should have uh, domain experts, you should have representatives from the community and so on. But there is nothing uh, which is strictly worded to force the government's hand, right? And the third thing and the final thing which I feel the court should have done was to keep the matter open right rather than leave it at this so now what the court says it ends at least Justice Chandrachud ends by saying that you know the report of this committee shall be implemented by all the concerned government authorities why do that right because that sort of puts a finality to the matter if the court is really concerned about uh, cure rights which it seems to be looking at all the rhetoric that it has handed out the court could have kept the matter open say post the matter after six months and look at the recommendations of the committee or at least the work that the committee has been doing so I think these two three aspects were missed opportunities as far as this committee remedy which ultimately the petitioner received from the court. So I want to hear your thoughts on this, Saurabh. Yeah, so I mean, see, uh, so again, so the Chief Justice has really laid down very comprehensively, right? Like what are the different things that rights and issues that should be considered when this committee will meet to decide, you know, what, but I think even at the same time, the committee may well decide that all of these are not needed, right? It is like, there is no obligation that because the Supreme Court did not give a declaration that these rights must be respected and upheld for same-sex couples as well, the committee may well well say, oh, we don't need that, you know, it's fine the way things are going and that's the end of it. But if the government, if the court would have given it is the fact that you have to protect these rights and you have to consider how to ensure that same-sex couples have the right to all of these things and then the committee would have like have tried to figure out how to implement those. So I, I think it is like a lot of fluff and as you said that you know like in the in the starting of the hearing also it was such great eloquent speeches for everything but even like the consensus judgment like actually gives nothing like it gives zero things to the community it just says very normal benign things that okay you should respect the rights there should be no discrimination etc etc that is there already and how do you enforce that like there is no mechanism to enforce. And so it again goes back to the problem, right? That we have like a lot of eloquence speeches, but the judgment ends up being very, very short of, you know, what it should have done or at least could do at the bare minimum. So I guess right now the community is more or less at the mercy of the government if and when they decide to constitute this committee. I mean, anyways, the elections are due in less than a year. So I don't think that this is something that is of importance to the government or anyone, to be very honest, I mean, no party, no government, no state, you know, even during the hearings was even remotely interested in tackling this issue. Some states did say that there is a need for more robust discussions, but I don't see that happening. But I'm curious, actually, Shri, that given that marriage is in the concurrent list, is there a possibility, or at least in theory, can some states like decide to recognize civil unions, at least, if not marriage, in their own states and start the process? Or like, what's the background for that? Stay tuned to All Things Policy. We'll be right back after a short commercial break.
Yeah, this is an interesting question because I think I saw one of the headlines in some news outlet which said that, you know, the court has held that the states are free to legislate on this issue if they want to. But let's keep few things in mind. One, I think uh, we have had this discussion earlier also when the union government said, let's make state governments also party to the petition in the Supreme Court. I think almost all state governments opposed it, right? So I don't think politically this is a very feasible thing. So why would any elected government uh, put their uh, sort of political will behind uh, this sort of uh, issue? Having said that, now as things stand, Marriage is, of course, a part of your concurrent list. So both the union as well as the states can legislate on this subject matter. However, right now we have almost all laws on marriage, divorce, adoption, succession, etc. made by the union government, made by the parliament, uh, which hold the field, right? So when there is a union law holding the field, the state government cannot make a law which contradicts the provisions of the union law. And if they want to make it, they will have to take precedence approval, right? So this is the crux of the matter. So if tomorrow a state wants to, for example, include same-sex couples within marriage laws or adoption laws, they will require the president's approval, right? Which, again, I don't see it forthcoming. The other aspect of this is can, like you pointed out, can states go ahead and recognize uh, civil unions, right? Can, for example, the government of Karnataka or Maharashtra make a law called the Right of Same-Sex Couple to Civil Unions Act? Can they do that? Now, I don't think there's anything which forbids the states from doing it. I think they can very well do it. But there will be an interpretive issue. Then the question would be, what is the entry in your concurrent list or the state list under which the state is making such a law, right? The state will have to justify its legislative competence on this account. Now, would you again rely on an entry like marriage? Would this union then come and argue that no, no, this is a domain which uh, we have already made laws on this. The states cannot make a law on this aspect. So, I don't know how that is going to pan out. But the first point remains, which is that there is no political will even at the state level to ensure this happens. I think a more feasible thing which state governments can do, at least some of them which believe this issue needs a quick resolution, is that set up their own committees at the state level to identify aspects which come under the state government's domain, which can again be extended to same-sex or queer couples, right? For example, ration cards. Ration cards are a state subject. State governments issue them. So I don't see why a state government cannot start issuing ration cards to a same-sex couples, right? Or for example, in state pension schemes or insurance schemes, why they cannot extend the same right to queer couples. So that's my take on this. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, that I mean that makes sense. I mean, I was looking at, okay, you know, if somebody, you know, hypothetically is interested, like some state or some party, then can they do it? And I'm with you. I don't think any party really cares about this or even has the will to go ahead with this. Even with, I, I think that idea that, okay, at least at the state level, you can form these committees and they figure out, you know, what are the remedies that states can do. But even in that case, for example, I think I'm thinking of, you know, in terms of actual kind of... Um, I don't think it will work in the sense that even if you want to say that you want to give a ration card to a same-sex couple, what is the proof that they're a couple, right? So you you come back to the point that you have to recognize that union. Some way you have to say that, okay, these two individuals are connected and, and are not just two random individuals. So that again comes back to the point that you have to somehow say that these two individuals are connected. And on the basis of that connection, you are being given a ration card or pension scheme or, 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 or stuff like that. And I, I mean, the reason I also said this was that I think in like this issue is not partisan, like no government, no party, no state is really in favor of this. They may be opposed or they may say that we need more discussions, but no one, no party, no state government has come out in open officially to support this. There have been private members bills in the parliament but that is also like very like rare and they obviously have no chance of passing so 
like one of the reasons why i was asking this is that people sometimes think that this issue is partisan or it is because you know if you have the change in of government or change of party or change of you know like change of bureaucrats or whatever like it has broad consensus that this is not something that they care about so that is why i think the idea was the supreme court would provide at least a direction so that the governments who are ambivalent will be like okay you know what let's do this because we were told to do to do this by the supreme court so yeah so i i would say that there are a lot of opportunities and a lot of uh, like parties individuals politicians who are progressive can technically push for these reforms at the state level but yeah i don't think that's going to happen because there's a lot of again rhetoric but very less or at least non existent substance in these efforts right but at the same time sora bhai also think we need to keep in mind some positives that may spill out from this judgment right one is of course this judgment all the five judges unambiguously have reaffirmed that a trans persons have the right to marry under their respective personal laws or the special marriage act uh, which is welcome of course this is not new uh, this right at least existed since the nalsa judgment of supreme court in 2013 which uh, gave uh, legal uh, recognition to transgenders and as well as the trans rights act which came I think somewhere in 2017 if i'm not wrong uh, which was passed by the parliament so trans people can marry as heterosexual couples which is important and welcome uh, and the court uh, has reaffirmed this right all the five judges have so it's a solid precedent which has been set the second thing is i think there is enough in the judgment uh, which will come to the aid of lawyers and litigants seeking reliefs across various high courts and maybe even in the supreme court in the coming years because let's face it our society still does not accept homosexual couples queer couples we often see media reports where queer couples approach high courts for police protection because they are being coerced or persecuted by their family members or society members so in such situations i'm sure the language of the supreme court in this judgment where they have uh, clearly said that any form of discrimination and violence against the homosexual couples or same sex couples is unacceptable and the state must protect the right of these people to live together and choose a partner of their choice so i'm sure this will come in aid of lawyers and litigants across the country who are fighting for these rights at a ground level seeking police protection in high courts and so on so to that extent i do feel this judgment has tremendous value uh, for litigants uh, so what are your thoughts on this sort of yeah yeah i agree i mean i think we have been a bit pessimistic since the start of this podcast i mean i think one kind of a very big positive here is that first of all there has been now more visibility of this issue in the public in general and even within you know, courts lawyers and the legal community and i think the same like goes for even faith in the government that's one second i would also say that i think it's also important that the supreme court did not say that the same sex couples don't have the right to marriage right they just said that there is no fundamental right to marriage through which you can maybe like insert this into the, the special marriage act or some other statute so if the parliament wants if the executive so desires they can create frameworks and laws in which they can provide this remedy to same sex couples so in that case i think uh, there is no legal bar into saying that you know like in many countries we have this like there are rules laws and regulations even judgments saying that same sex marriage is illegal like that is not legal so there is a negative kind of uh, indication to it yeah 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 so like you being in that union can will kind of lead to fines or jail time or whatever in india either it is just benign with like no legal civil or criminal consequence or you at least allow the governments to make laws on this so i think that is a big plus and also i think all the fact that supreme court has reformed that queer individuals are 
discriminated and so there should be remedies that you know they are not done that i mean although they do fall short of giving those remedies but the the fact is that that they recognize that this problem exists and that needs to be addressed so i mean those things are quite positive and i guess that as you said this would kind of then lead to lawyers and civil uh, society to advocate for more i i guess specific laws and regulations to be then amended so it's a long process i'm guessing that now the fight would be on specific provisions which i think will fall short of marriage but i think would at least lead to giving rights to same sex couples even though piecemeal but it's a welcome start right so thanks a lot sora for joining me on this conversation today and like you said it's a long road ahead a piecemeal approach is probably what the queer right activists and the queer people have to follow in the coming years but let's look at the outcomes of this committee whenever it is set up and i'd be happy to speak about this again whenever the time comes with you uh, thanks once again for joining all things policy thank you shri happy to be here if you liked our show Don't forget to check out other interesting podcasts on the IVM network. You can tune into them on the IVM podcast app, ivmpodcast.com, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. You can also follow IVM on social media. The handle is at IVM Podcasts on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. And hey, if you'd like to dive into Takshashila's research on technology, strategy, and economic affairs, check us out at our Twitter handle at takshashila inst. और आर वेबसाइट तक्षशिला डॉट ओ आर जी डॉट इन